You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. So Father, I thank you for this new broadcast, this new podcast, this series entitled Sin Consciousness. And I thank you for freedom. I thank you for freedom from sin. And I thank you for the freedom from the consciousness of sin. And I thank you, Father, that the blood of the Lamb is sufficient. I thank you that because of Jesus, there is no more sacrifice for sin and there is no more need to be conscious of sin. And so I pray today, Father, that as we dive into this series, that you will prepare the hearts of every listener, Father, to come with an open mind, with an open heart, ready to receive the word from uh, the Lord, to ready to receive the truth. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are going to be confirming this message in people's hearts and that you are there to answer whatever questions they have, that you are the teacher, the ultimate teacher, and that at the same time I'm speaking, you will be speaking through me. So I just turned over to you, Holy Spirit. I say, think through my mind, speak through my lips, and set us free today. And uh, bring us up into that place, Father, where we are conscious of you, where we are conscious of the new creation, where we are aware of our perfection in Christ. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, awesome, you guys. This series is called Beyond Sin Consciousness, and I'm really excited about it. I mean, this is a topic that I have been probably working on in my own life and sitting with now for well over two decades. I can tell you because of my upbringing, but honestly, it really doesn't matter what kind of upbringing you have, uh, whether you grew up like me and I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, you know, where uh, there was a lot of sermons that were given about sin and pretty much an altar call every week about, you know, repenting of your sins. And then we would rededicate our lives because guess what? Last time we rededicated our lives, we went back out and we were still sinning. So we'd come back and do another altar call. And so it was this constant constant remembrance of sin. It was this kind of this reminder of sin. It was this focus on sin. And I can tell you the fruit of that did not produce holiness in my life. You know what it produced? It produced guilt. It produced shame. And it produced a consciousness where I was aware of my sins and I was aware of my unworthiness and I was aware of this, this folly that no matter how hard, how hard I tried, I could not be good. And that is exactly the fruit of sin consciousness. But here's the thing. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to really grow up under that to, to uh, suffer under sin consciousness. I mean, we live in a rewards based system. We live in a world system that you know, from the time that we show up at school, we are rewarded for good grades. We are punished for bad grades. We are, uh, there are consequences to our mistakes, right? There's a starting team and a bench warming seat for people that aren't good enough to play. And I'm not condemning that, you know, sports shouldn't be performance based. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that we have to separate our performance from our identity. We have to separate our behavior from who we are. And sin consciousness is a plague. It is a plague that has, uh, you know, uh, tormented the human race since the garden and since the fall when Adam and Eve attempted to cover their own nakedness, right? And they hid from the presence of God because that's what sin consciousness does. It causes us to hide. 
It causes us to hide from God. It causes us to hide from others. It causes us to be, to live in a prison, a prison of condemnation, a prison of penitence, where you're, you're constantly trying to make amends for your sins. And it is a completely a, a fallen system, a religious system that keeps us in bondage. So there's several scriptures that I want to go to, but I want to kick off today in Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to read it in the, well, let's see, I have it up in the Amplified Classic Version, so I'm just going to begin to read it in that. But let me just start here in verse 1, and we're going to kick off with kind of this definition of what sin consciousness is. It says for, it says in verse 1, Hebrews 10, it says, For since the law has merely a rude outline, a foreshadowing of good things to come, instead of fully expressing those things, It can never by offering the same sacrifices continually year after year make perfect those who approach its altars. Verse two, it says, for if it were otherwise, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers had once for all been cleansed, they would no longer have any guilt or consciousness of sin. Okay, so here in Hebrews 10, the writer is talking about how the sacrificial system of the old covenant could not cleanse a guilty conscience. It could not bring the worshipers into a place where there was no more remembrance of sin. In fact, it says if it had been able to do that, then there wouldn't need to be any more sacrifices. It says, but uh, because they hadn't once and for all been cleansed, they had a consciousness of sin. They had a guilty conscience. Okay. Um, let me just keep reading. In verse three, it says, but as it is, these sacrifices annually bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for. Meaning that because they constantly were having to atone for their sins, they were constantly being reminded of their sins. And that's what a religious system, a sin conscious system does. It's, it's a relationship with the law and the, 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 the law is the strength of sin. It brings us into a place when we are operating under legalism or operating under a, you know, a mixture of a message which requires the performance of the worshiper along with some form of grace. What it happens is, is it actually produces guilt. It actually produces sin consciousness. But let's keep going. It says, verse four, because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away. And what I just want to add to that is that the power of, there's nothing, there's nothing except Jesus. There's nothing except the blood of Jesus that has the power to take sins away. So it doesn't matter how many times you say you're sorry. It doesn't matter how many times you repent, which we'll talk about that word repentance here in in a bit. It doesn't matter how, what you do over and over and over again, a hundred times, None of those things, none of our own actions has the power to take away sin. It doesn't have the power to cleanse or purge our guilty conscience. It says, verse five, hence, when he, Christ, entered into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but instead you have made ready a body for me to offer. In verse six, it says, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no delight. But then I said, behold, here I am coming to do your will, O God, for what is written of me in the volume of your book. When he said, it says, when he said just before, you have neither desired nor have taken delight in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, 
all of which were offered according to the law, he went then to went on to say, behold, here I am coming to do your will. Thus, he does away with and annuls the first, the former, as a means of dealing with sin so that he might inaugurate and establish the second latter order. It says in verse 10, and in accordance with his will, we have been made holy, consecrated and sanctified through the offering made once for all of the body of Jesus Christ. In verse 11, it says, furthermore, every human priest stands at the altar of service, ministering daily, offering the same sacrifices over and over again, which are never, never able to strip us, strip aside the sins that envelop us, envelop us and take them away. <clears throat> In verse 12, it says, whereas this one Christ, after he had offered a single sacrifice for our sins that shall avail for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, then to wait until his enemies should be made a stool beneath his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he has, he has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. Oh my goodness, what good news. Let me say, say that last verse again, verse 14. It says, for by a single offering, he has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. Okay, so Hebrews 10 is a beautiful picture that compares and contrasts a sacrificial system where you're constantly making atonement for sins and the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, who through one sacrifice of himself cleansed and perfected and made us holy, all of us, right, that are a part of his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus, once and for all, it was one sacrifice for the sins of mankind, and it was sufficient. It was complete, and it was a one-time act that forever, it says, forever perfected, forever cleansed, forever sanctified, forever made holy, forever proclaimed the innocence of the human race. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for he who knew no sin was made to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so there was this exchange that happened on Calvary, and it was the this exchange of sin for righteousness. And Jesus became the, 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 the entity of sin. He became not just the uh, atoning, you know, uh, sacrifice for sins, right? The, the record of wrongs or all the things that anybody has ever done wrong throughout all of human history through, in all of the future. He wasn't just atoning for the acts that were, uh, committed. Okay. He was actually becoming the the, the entity of sin, which entered the human race through Adam. Now, the Greek word for sin is the Greek word hamartia. I think I'm saying it right. I may not be saying it right, but it's H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. And it's a compound word, like many Greek words, okay? And the, the ha means without, okay? Without. And the, the second firm, Martia, M-A-T, M-A-R-T-I-A, means without, so without ha, and it means form, without form. 
Okay. And what sin really is, is it is meaning that we are, it's operating out of a, a wrong form. It, 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 the root of it is a wrong form. It's a wrong identity. And so what, when Jesus became sin, he became without form. He took on the identity, the Adam's, he took on Adam's identity. That's why he was called the last Adam. He took on the Adamic nature, the sinful nature, the sin entity that was present in man, and he exchanged it with the human race so that now we were no longer found in Adam. We weren't identified with Adam, but we were identified with Christ. And this sin entity that is, was present in us was crucified with Christ. And through that one sacrifice, we have been made holy. We have been made righteous. We have been, we have been made perfect and we have been, we are now considered innocent. Okay, the guilty verdict was thrown out of court. In fact, the entire legal system, the entire court system was thrown out. And that's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. In the Amplified Version, it says, no guilty verdict for them that are in Christ. And I know there's a lot of discussion about, well, who's in Christ, who's not in Christ. And, you know, I'll possibly get to that. Uh, and really unpack that in this series. But here's what I want you to know for you today. That guilty, uh, the guilty verdict, no matter, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever the sin is, whatever it is, I know this is like, it just feels like it's almost wrong <laughs> to actually believe this. You're like, but there has to be consequences for sin. There has to be a payment for sin. And I get it. And that because of that sin consciousness and that relationship with the law, that is exactly why Jesus entered into a human experience. He came to purge our guilty conscience. He came to, it wasn't about appeasing God. It was about appeasing us. It was about cleansing us from the effects of the fall. Because God did not stop fellowshipping with man after Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He still walked with them in the garden. In fact, he clothed them with fig, fig um, after they made you know, they just made their own clothes out of out of fig leaves, right? Out of leaves. He actually clothed them with animal skins, right? Why? Why was there a murder of an animal to cover their sin? Because the, the, the wages of sin is death. It's not the system that God instituted. It's just the way human judgment and sin works. It's the way it works, okay? Sin causes death. It causes death. It causes shame. It causes separation from God. And so with Jesus, he was the solution to the problem. That's why God told Eve in the very beginning that her offspring would crush the serpent, would crush the very entity, the very root of sin. Uh, uh, and that was Jesus. Jesus crushed, he, he, he laid the ax to the root and he dismantled the system of sin in our lives, the entity of sin in our lives. And unfortunately, what happens, though, is that even though this has happened, many people, even though Jesus has died for our sin, even though he became sin and we became the righteousness of God, many of us have never heard it. And even though we have, some of us have heard it and we've heard the idea that we are righteous in Christ, it has yet to become a part of our identity, meaning it is not, it need not integrated with Christ 
at a subconscious level. And so we still suffer under guilt. We still suffer under shame. And here's the thing about consciousness. You cannot be conscious of two things at the same time, meaning you cannot be aware of your righteousness and aware of your sin at the same time. We must grab and we must grasp a uh, a, a understanding of what righteousness actually is, which is the nature of God, which is just a, a way of being that is not without form. Righteousness is a right form. It is the form of God that has been reproduced in us in Christ. We are now the mere image of God in Christ. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. But yet, because we're still making mistakes, because we still, we, we are still, many of us still operating out of a wrong identity and we're still grappling with sin in our lives, we are somehow thinking that our righteousness is based upon us. And that is, that is a kind of righteousness that, that the law produced, which is the, the, the kind of righteousness that is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is a righteousness that is produced through your performance. And Jesus came to annul the system of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness believes that there is a way to be good apart from Christ. Now, you may not come out and just blatantly say that. You know, people that are operating in self-righteousness may not think that they are as good as God, you know, but they may, they may, they may still measure their sins against other people's sins. And they may say, well, I'm better than the murderer. I'm better than the pedophile. I haven't committed those sins. So therefore I'm more righteous than the people that create, that, that do these sins. These people are evil and I'm not evil like these people. But here's the thing. Perfection is a requirement that is, you, you can't be just partly perfect. You have to be completely perfect, okay? There's no like, you're just a little bit evil. There's not just a little bit of sin. No, a little bit of sin. Even a little bit of law, it pollutes the whole dough, right? That's why you call it the leaven of the Pharisees. Because the leaven, it, it, it infects the whole thing. See, the sin of Adam, it says in Romans chapter 5, caused sin to spread to the entire human race. It was through one man's death, that, I mean one man's sin, that death entered the earth. It was through one man's offense that unrighteousness polluted the earth. And guess what? Here's why one sacrifice of Jesus is the only right and fair and just way to cleanse the human race. Guess what? You and I weren't in the tree of, the, uh, of uh, we weren't in the garden. Okay. I don't know about you, but I've never seen the tree of life in its physical form and its spiritual, I mean, maybe in a vision or something, but you know what I mean? I wasn't the one, you weren't the one that chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But yet the consequences of one man's choice has infected the entire human race. So it doesn't make sense that it would take more than one person to cleanse the human race, right? It is one person, Adam, infected everybody, and one person, Jesus, cleansed everybody, okay? This is a global act. It's why John the Baptist said, lo, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay, so everyone is included. Everyone was in Christ when he was crucified. He took away one, one little, one sacrifice. I don't want to say one little sacrifice because it was a horrible sacrifice, but one sacrificed 
cleanse the human race. Now, since the beginning of time, we have been alienated from God in our minds. Okay, that's what scripture says. There is a mindset. There is a fallen mindset. There is a sin conscious mindset. There is a separated, independent self mindset that has infected the human race. And the gospel is the proclamation that we have been reconciled with God, that we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, out of this kingdom of a fallen identity, out of this kingdom where we were without form, where we had a distorted form, where we had a fallen form, and we have been translated out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's dear son. And we were translated not by anything that we have done. Okay, it's not based on anything a human being has done. Jesus Christ at this point was crucified over 2,000 years ago. So, of course, the sacrifice of Jesus dealt with future sins. It had to deal with the sin of every single person that was ever going to be born after that time. It, 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 so every sin, past, present, future, all sin was swallowed up in Christ. He literally became that the entity of sin. And it only makes sense, really, when you stop and think of it, that it was one man's fault, okay? It was Adam's fault, and it was Jesus's redemption. It's, it's a, it's, it's, it's truly a replacement of systems. It's a replacement of identities. It's an exchange. It's an exchange for sin, for righteousness. It's an exchange of death for life. It's an exchange of poverty for abundance. It's an exchange of all of the effects of sin as well as sin with the, uh, with abundant life, with Zoe life, with God's kind of life. And this has been deposited into us. This is something that we receive as a gift. Righteousness is a gift. It's called righteousness of faith, meaning because we, we simply believe. That's the, that we just believe. We just receive. We just say, oh, thank you. <laughs> we just say, thank you, Jesus, for making us righteous. Thank you for including us in your death and your burial and your resurrection. Thank you for causing us to be ascended with you and sit at the right hand of the Father with you. We just simply say thank you. But here's the thing. A lot of us, number one, haven't even really heard this message. We haven't, I mean, and even if we have heard it, you guys, we are inundated with messages of mixture all over the place. Meaning we believe, we believe the cross was like for the forgiveness of sins. But now it's, it's like it's up to us to stop sinning. Or if, if we even have a, a concept of the grace of God, okay, well, it's the grace of God that keeps us from sinning. But when we sin, we still, we still feel guilty and we still need to, uh, you know, uh, confess our sins. We still need to, we need to do something to appropriate the cross in our life. And listen, I'm not saying that you don't ask forgiveness when you do something wrong. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, even tell God, I'm really sorry or whatever. But you have to realize that all of that comes from a an identity that is separate from God. And all of that comes from consciousness of sin. When you are blood conscious, when you are righteousness conscious, let me tell you, you will be more holy on accident than you would ever be trying to keep yourself free from sin. See, that's the beauty of a new identity because, and it's really what the gospels proclaim over and over again. I'm going to say the gospels, the New Testament, the new covenant, it proclaims over and over again. It says, because you are in Christ, be holy. You know, when Jesus said, be holy as, as, as God is holy, be holy as I am holy. 
Well, guess what? That's an impossibility apart from him. It's impossible. When he would tell people to go and sin no more, well, how were they supposed to go and sin no more when they were offspring of Adam and they were conscious of sin, living under a system that constantly brought remembrance of sins? Okay, somehow we've interpreted that to think that somehow humans can be sinless apart from Christ. And, and the truth of the matter is we, we, we aren't and we don't have to be. Jesus Christ is the solution for sin. And now what's left to do is to purge. We just need to apply. We need to just know the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. We need to believe the gospel. And we need to repent from having a relationship with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the word repent, I've talked about it before, but it really just means to change your mind. It means a change that happens by grace when you encounter the truth. Okay, it is coming into a, an agreement with way, the way that God sees things. It's coming into a, wow, oh, that's the way it is? Oh my gosh, whoa, okay, that's the way God sees it. Okay, uh, yeah, well, that makes sense. I'm going to change my mind. Okay, it's, it's an encounter with the truth and it's a revelation that changes you. And revelation has to come from God. God is the source of repentance. He is the, it says his kindness leads us to repentance. It is goodness that goes, Oh my gosh, this is so good. Oh, okay. I can just set that aside. And so it's not about atoning for our sins. It's not about feeling bad. It's not about altar calls. It's not about, you know, making things right because the blood of Jesus has made us right. And so the consciousness that we are after is Jesus consciousness. It's Christ consciousness. It's, it's oneness consciousness. It's this consciousness that we are in Christ. You know, in this series, we are going to go deep into really the nature of, of the enemy. We're going to go into the nature of him being the father of lies. We're going to go into the nature of the accuser or the slanderer as, as the, the scriptures teach us. Because here's the thing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil put humans in the position of playing judge, meaning that we were now going to judge right and wrong. But here's the thing. It didn't just put us in the position of playing judge. It also put us in the position of playing the accuser and playing the accused. So we've got the accuser, we've got the accused, and we've got the judge in this courtroom living in our head. And guess what? We're also playing the jury. So we've got this entire legal system that's been set up in our, in our minds by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the accuser is constantly the one that is saying, this is what you did wrong. You should do this. You shouldn't do this. It's like this law of right and wrong has been, you know, seared into our minds. And so we have this relationship with the law and right and wrong and judgment and condemnation and guilt and, and, and consequences and, and, you know, all of these things. It's also where the fear of punishment comes in, where we start to think, well, if I'm good, I'm worthy. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm bad, I'm unworthy. And so we have this sense of unworthiness that comes from our behavior rather than our identity in Christ. This sense of being right that comes from our own performance rather than our righteousness in Christ. And so this system has been abolished. It is a blame game and we need to pack it up and put it away. The blame game is a miserable game to play. 
It absolutely separates us. It separates us in our minds because in the reality, we're never separated. In reality, we have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Do you know that from God's perspective, the lamb was slain before Adam fell? Do you recognize that your real origin, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, that we were in Christ before the foundation of the world, that God has always seen us as one with him? I call that, you know, I have a whole series on that called Original Glory, if you want to learn more about that. But, but the truth is that God is not confused about the fact that we are one with him. God is not keeping a record of wrongs. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter in the Amplified Version says that, that God is not keeping a record of our faults, that love takes no account of the evil that is done to it, meaning that there is no account of right and wrong and sins and all of these things. That is not the way love works. Right? Love sees itself in others. Love associates with us. Love associates in, 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 in us. Love associates with others. We aren't judging ourselves and we aren't judging others. We are, if there is a judgment, the judgment is innocent. And we recognize that, that every single person is included in this, whether they know it or not. Because guess what, beloved? It's not even, it's not Jesus plus our perfect theology that, that has saved us. It's not Jesus plus, you know, our recognition of, of, of it that saved us. Now, granted, it will, it will change your experience of God. It will change your experience of yourself. You can't experience the new birth until you know about it. You can't enjoy reconciliation with God until the good news is pronounced to you that you've been reconciled with God, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, reconciling the cosmos to himself. Like until you know that, you can't, you can't experience it. Why? Because what we experience comes out of our, the truth that we know. So I'm not saying that everyone is enjoying the freedom uh, from sin consciousness or enjoying uh, their oneness with God, but truth isn't true because we believe it. Truth isn't true because we agree with it. Now, it will be true for us. It will be true for us, but it doesn't make it ultimately true. Our individual agreement with God doesn't change God. It doesn't change the gospel. It doesn't change what has already been accomplished on behalf of the human race. Our agreement gives us participation in what God has done. And so it is necessary, but you know what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It comes via the Holy Spirit. We believe because the Holy Spirit somehow enlightened the eyes of our understanding. And by grace, we became, we were saved. We, 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 our eyes were open to the truth. The God of this world, which had blinded us and the, the, the mindset of us being alienated from God in our minds, the Holy Spirit brought us the truth. But if we're really honest, you guys, we are still waking up to the ramifications of the gospel, even if we know who Jesus Christ is, even if we have believed the gospel that, oh, Jesus, you know, forgave me of my sins. Like that is not really the truth of the gospel. I mean, it's enough for us to know to worship Jesus. It's enough for us to be grateful to God, but it is not enough to live a new creation life. It is not enough for us to operate as sons of God. Guess what? We're still learning how to hear the voice of God. We're still waking up to the truth and the, the extent through which, you know, Jesus Christ finished everything that needs to be done. 
So we are not in a position to boast. We are not in a position to judge people that have yet to hear the good news. In fact, we've been called to make to live our lives in union with Jesus in a way that makes it so attractive that the goodness of God is evident and that people run to know us and know the Jesus that is in us. See, the real Jesus is attractive to sinners. The reason that Jesus was so attractive is that he was not condemning sinners. He was not he was not he was healing people that, you know, the Pharisees wouldn't even touch, would not even associate with. He was associating with tax collectors and and people that, you know what, religious people would have nothing to do with. And sadly, if we're honest, that is a lot of the way the church operates in the world today. We operate in a way that we're holding sins against others. But you know why we're doing that? It's because secretly, subconsciously, we feel ashamed and we're judging ourselves in, in relation to someone else and getting a righteousness out of being better than them. It's almost like we take pride in the fact that we're saved or pride in the fact that we know Jesus rather than being so grateful and humbled by the fact that God and his grace and his mercy, that we actually know the truth. And if we really understood this, you know what? We would be so excited to share this with people and we would share it in a way that wasn't sin focused. I mean, who wants to sit around and hear how bad they are? No one. You know why? Because secretly they people already recognize it. And we have all of these coping mechanisms and all of these ways of dealing with it so that we can feel good about ourselves. You know, even doing the right things out of a sin consciousness, like what's that? I'm going to, I'm going to go to church because I feel guilty. I'm going to read my Bible because I have to. I'm going to pray because it's the right thing to do. No, 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 no. Like these, these actions that we're doing out of wrong motives, it, 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 it's, it's just nullifying the cross. It's completely alienating us from the grace of God. You can frustrate the grace of God. You either have to earn something or you've got to receive it by gift. There is no, no uh, middle ground here. It's either an inheritance or it's a paycheck. And we do not receive anything in the kingdom. We don't receive salvation in our own works. We don't receive abundance in our own works. We are not blessed or cursed based upon our own works. We are blessed because we are in Christ. We are righteous because we are in Christ. And so leaving this the realm of sin consciousness and an awareness of sins is where we will find peace. We will find peace with God. We will find peace with ourselves, and we will find peace with others because we're no longer in the place of judgment. We're no longer in the place of accuser. We're no longer in, in, in determining, you know, what, what accusations need to be punished. And we're not punishing people and we're not rejecting people based upon their flavor of sin or whatever we, de, you know, declare is sin. Like the, the conversation is so dominated by sin in, in the world, right? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this, and again, I understand we need we need laws. We need, we need, you know, police officers. I understand that we need a judicial system in the natural. Why? Because we are still living under a fallen world. We are still living under this fallen mindset and people don't know who they are. People have not heard the gospel, but I can tell you that a, a bit of righteousness will, will cure people. It will cure people. It will heal people. When people start to realize, wait a second, I am royalty, that God is my father that I am a part of a family of sons of God, 
that this has been a, this is a gift. It is something that Jesus did to me without my permission, just like Adam did something to me without my permission. Like this is something that was given to me as a, as a free, it's totally free with no strings attached. You know, it's sometimes I say the gospel is, it, it almost sounds too good to be true. Like it is an, it's offensive to our legalistic minds. It's offensive to let someone go for a crime that they committed. Like it is offensive. I mean, and if you've ever had a serious crime committed against you, I understand it. It's traumatic. But the gospel is the proclamation that God is not holding his sins against anyone. That in fact, Jesus became sin. Now, I know that this messes with eschatology. I know it messes with a lot of theology. But guys, it needs to be messed with. We need to dive in to the gospel. We need to hear other people's uh, uh, arguments. And we need to hear other theological positions on different doctrines like penal substitution and hell and eschatology. And, and because here's the thing, when you strip the tree of the knowledge of good and evil out of these things, when you strip a, a God of vengeance out of these things, when you strip... Uh, a uh, uh, punishment out of these things and you realize that Jesus was punished, that Jesus has, uh, that, 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 that the consciousness of sin has been, has been dealt with on the cross. It, it, it's like you don't know what to believe anymore. And I understand that. I understand it because why? I've been through the process. Okay. 33 is when I started to wake up to a gospel that wasn't the one that I was taught. Okay, now it's, I'm 55. So that's a long time to be sitting with the doctrines in the church and the doctrines of the gospel and unpacking righteousness and unpacking sin and unpacking, you know, oneness with God. And what does oneness with God do? Well, it resets the entire foundation and the foundation is Christ and any other doctrine that is built on anything that has to do with separation from God has got to be, uh, as we talk about it in, you know, culture has got to be deconstructed and it's got to be reconstructed. That is what the deconstruction movement is. It's tearing down doctrines that are not founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ as a finished work, as a proclamation of the innocence of the human race. And I can tell you that we have centuries and centuries and centuries of church history that has been built upon a false gospel. It is built upon a mixture of Jesus plus something, Jesus plus confession, Jesus plus tithing, Jesus plus fasting, Jesus plus praying, Jesus plus reading your Bible, Jesus plus feeding the poor, Jesus plus doing something in order to gain the favor of God, the blessing of God, and somehow be worthy of the kingdom of God. And I can tell you that that system is futile. That there is not enough. We can't do enough to gain righteousness apart from Christ. It is one or the other. It is either a gift or it is nothing. It is either based upon what Jesus Christ has done or it is based upon what a human being has done. And beloved, let me tell you, freedom comes when you recognize that every accusation against you and every accusation against another human being is, is an accusation against an identity that was crucified with Christ. 
Do you recognize that God sees every person on the planet as his child? God sees every person on the planet as redeemed in Christ. Paul said it this way. He told the, 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 the folks at Athens, you know, he said, do you not, the unnamed God who you don't even know who to worship, do you not realize that, that we are all children of God, that we are all, all God's offspring and that we live and move and have our being in God? There is nowhere to escape God. Jesus was in Christ reconciling the cosmos, reconciling everything that was lost in Adam to himself. Now, I get it. Not everybody knows it. But here's the thing, until they do, it's not our job to accuse. It's not our job to judge. It is not our job to put them under a system, which we frankly have been delivered from. And this changes the way that we see the Baptists, the, the, the Hindus, the Muslims. Again, I'm not saying that they don't need to know the gospel because they can't experience it if they don't know it. But I am saying that it takes us out of the place of playing judge and it evils the level, it, it evens and levels the playing field. There's no more us and them. It's just us. It's just us that have been saved and redeemed and healed and made righteous by the cross of Christ. So I know I've said a lot today and I'm sure, you know, you're probably like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Well, here's what I, I mean. How do I make sense of all this? Well, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, lead and guide me into the truth. Show me the things that Shalise is teaching in a way that I can understand it. Answer the questions that I have in the way that I can understand it. And beloved, if you want to learn more, I mean, I always invite you guys, you know, to, to jump in here to our community, take part in Emerge School of Transformation. I mean, we dive deep into these topics. We, we unpack these things. We, I coach people around these things. There's books that we read. There's all kinds of, of, of unpacking that we do and deconstruction that we do in Emerge. Why? So that you can live in oneness with Jesus and you can experience who you really are. Why? So that you can discover your purpose because your purpose is for, for the you that is alive in Christ. Your purpose is not for a you that's going to try to perform to actually do your purpose. It's not, you know, like Abraham, you're going to go, you know, have an Ishmael because it's something that you've got to make happen. No, identity is the foundation of your entire life. Righteousness in Christ is the foundation of your entire life. And without an understanding of your righteousness, your rightness, in Christ, your holiness, your, your, that you're blameless, that you're innocent, without an understanding of that, uh, you will struggle. You will struggle in your relationship with God. You will, you will really struggle in your relationship with yourself. You'll struggle with guilt and condemnation. And you will play judge. You will play accuser. And you will judge other people as, as a subconscious way to project your guilt on them. So that's all I have time for today. We have opened it up, I feel like, with a really good foundation and we'll continue on this path over the next few episodes. So God bless you guys. Have an amazing week and we will see you soon. See you later. Thanks for listening to Shalise's podcast. This recording is, in part, made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit shalise.com where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalise's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose he created you for, then visit us at shalise.com and watch Shalise's free training where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, 
the world needs the Christ in you.